and I had to set it aside for a while. And I remember thinking, man, this is a really good idea for a podcast. I sure hope somebody doesn't swoop in and do this thing while I'm uh, do this podcast while I'm doing this other thing in my life. And what happened was somebody swooped in and did this other podcast while I was dealing with this other thing in my life. The performer's nightmare, right? One of them. Performers have a lot of nightmares. And so I was kind of casting around in late 20 into 2020 for a new idea for a podcast. And, um, and these videos of Matt's kind of, as I've described, kind of ticked me over into this notion of, of creativity. Podcast Junkies, episode 277. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Newcomers, it's the one where I speak to some of the most interesting folks in the world of podcasting, aka the podosphere. But more on that later. Last week, I spoke to Joe Casabona, host of How I Built It, and he had a fascinating story of how he started out as a teacher and ended up as a podcaster. High vibe, high fun, really good energy with Joe. Hopefully, you got a chance to check that out. 276. This week, I welcome back to the show Bill Barol as a co-host of a new show with Matt Ricardo. It's called Imagination and Junk. Bill is a writer and a podcast creator, and he's gained critical acclaim for his work on his original podcast, Home Stories from L.A. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite, and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Longtime listeners will recognize Bill Barol as an early, early first guest and supporter of Podcast Junkies. One thing you might notice is a little bit of popping on Bill's audio, which I heard during the recording, and I thought for some reason it wasn't going to be captured in the final, so it must have been something related to the equipment that unfortunately did get carried through to the recording, so... Apologies ahead of time, but that shouldn't take away from the fantastic content. Matt is a performer of modern-day vaudeville and one of the greatest variety artists working today. This unlikely duo met and formed a friendship during the COVID pandemic, where they came up with the concept of Imagination and Junk, a freewheeling transatlantic conversation about creativity, what it is, where it comes from, and why it matters. And in this episode, we all talk about creativity and content creation, and they open up about how the pandemic impacted their lives and how they were able to create in spite of the global challenge, which is a fun story. Matt shares his background as a performer, including the first time he ever got paid to perform. And Bill speaks to the importance of being vulnerable and authentic in the creative arts. They share their thoughts on the future of imagination and junk. And I really enjoyed the chemistry, not only between Bill and Matt, who have not met in person, I might add, but just overall, the conversation was really high vibe, and it was interesting to see how people look for opportunities to do creative things, and this is a great example of that. I think you'll be really inspired by this show. Actually, I know you'll be inspired. Full show notes will be available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 277. I've mentioned a couple of catch-ups on reviews. This is from Marzulo Associates. As a fellow podcaster, I'm always looking for ways to get better and better and stay on top of the latest trends and strategies for delivering a great experience to our audience. Podcast Junkies helps me to do just that. Awesome. Thank you. Jay Adam Chick. That's John. Thanks, John. Writes, excellent, logical, engaging, interesting, and helpful. Logical, interesting. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a nice review. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate it. And Heart Warrior 24 writes, Potology is a way of life. I'm not sure what that actually meant, but uh, it reminds me of Ted Lasso, if you're not watching that. Danny Rojas, that character. And every time he says, football is life, I get a big smile of that. So for me, podcasting is life. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But now let's get into this conversation with Bill and Matt. Bill Barol, Matt Ricardo, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hi. So we decided to just start recording and uh, give us Bill and, and I an opportunity to catch up. It's been how long since we've chatted or seen each other? Because that's going to probably get even longer. Seen each other, it's been a few years. I had a podcast I was trying to get off the ground, and you were kind enough to have a cup of coffee with me and kick around some ideas. But before that, it was home stories from L.A., which would have been uh, in 2015. It's been a while now. That's crazy. And yeah, that, that initial meeting, Matt, was not Bill writing me out of the blue, just total stranger writing me a letter in the same way you two connected. So for the benefit of the listener, Matt, if you could share your story of how you connected or met with Bill. Well, I have never, in fact, met Bill face to face. I, when was it? Three, four years ago-ish? I was performing at the Magic Castle, and Bill was in the audience. Bill saw me, and I am assuming was having some kind of breakdown because he liked my act. And then I think he followed you followed me on Twitter. Is that right, Bill? You sort of found me on the internet. Yeah, I was interested enough in what you were doing to want to look into your social media and sort of keep track of you. And uh, by that time you know, and Matt can speak more to this than I can. Live gigs had become a thing of the past. So following him on social media was kind of what there was. Yeah. When the pandemic happened, literally within a week, a week and a half, I had a whole year's worth of touring all cancelled. So after a a few moments of what am I going to do? Oh God, oh God, oh God. I kind of pivoted because I, you know, I've I've always infected the internet like a rash. So I thought, well, I'll just sort of lean into that. I need to keep making things because it's a part of what I am. So yeah, I lent into my YouTube channel and started learning how to make films and did a little bit more writing and all that stuff. And um, and Bill got in touch and we started sort of talking about doing something together. Yeah, I should say, maybe just to fill in a little bit of that from the other end, I was enormously impressed with what Matt was doing with these videos on YouTube. And I was impressed with his ability to keep creating and keep making things, even in hard times, mysterious times, nobody knew where we were or how long we were going to be there. And I was just really impressed with Matt's ability to keep making things under difficult circumstances. And it got me thinking in a general way about the phenomenon of creativity and wondering if this interesting eccentric entertainer in the UK might be interested in collaborating on something. So I sent him an email out of the blue. And I think by that time, Matt, we had only maybe just exchanged messages briefly on Twitter. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, we'd sort of circled each other a little bit. <laughs> yeah, warily. Yeah. And um, I sort of, I mean, this sounds super creepy, but when you got in touch, 
with the in, in the early stages of thinking that we might collaborate on something, I sort of looked you up and and googled you, and and it's like, oh, okay, this this guy's actually the real deal. He's not just some weirdo who's pretending to be something. <laughs> He's something. And the thing that sort of pushed me in this direction was I read out something but had written to my wife. And it's like, if someone writes a column that a middle-aged man feels the need to read out to their wife, that is some awful That's good. mark of quality, <laughs> you know? I take that as a compliment. Thank you. Kudos to you, Bill. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Matt, had you ever had anyone be such a fan of your work and reach out in that way before? There's no way to answer this question that doesn't that, that isn't weird. If I say no, it paints Bill as this very strange man who, for somehow, for some reason, likes me. If I say yes, it makes me seem incredibly arrogant. Oh, yeah, happens all the time. Spielberg is literally banging on my door. I've had it a couple of times. You've got six other podcasts in the work. <laughs> yeah, I haven't told Bill this. Obviously, <laughs> I do each one under a different name. Uh, <laughs> It's happened a couple of times, and it's always very nice because I'm not, you know, I'm not very mainstream. I'm not very famous, you know. So when my work resonates with someone, it usually means that we'll get along, you know, because my stuff's quite niche and a little weird. So I happened once before, I guess, maybe 15 years ago with a theatre director who out of the blue got in touch and, and thought I'd be a good fit for some things she was writing. And I was in three of her shows and we are still very good friends. So, you know, yeah, I think when it does happen, it's it's immensely flattering and, and it usually leads to something of, if not quality, at least something interesting. Yeah. And the one thing I, let me say this about Matt, because he, he may be too modest to say it about himself, which is he is an extraordinary live performer. And I was so taken with the way he was able to find a way to do something that is, in some ways, completely different. I mean, videography and live performance have some surface similarities, but in, in other fundamental ways are really very, very different. And Matt's videos were so beautiful, and they were so, first of all, so technically polished, but also really moving, in a way, on this question of creativity that I thought, this is... I was really interested in in Matt after having seen him perform, but after having seen him shift gears and go into another, don't get a swelled head, Matt, go into another format entirely, I thought, this guy and I could potentially do something interesting together. And I was, you know, lucky for me, he said yes. <laughs> That's very nice of you, Bill. Thank you. I think what that is, is that, you know, I've been a performer for 33 years. So I don't know how good I am, but I know that I'm not bad because I've been doing it for 33 years. So, you know, just by the law of averages, I should have picked up something along the way. I should have learned how to do it, you know. More than your 10,000 hours. Yeah, exactly so. But And one of the things I've learned, I guess, in the sort of last third of my career, the most recent third, is to be personal with my work and to be honest and all that stuff that I, I think enhances what I do. So then if I switch gears to something like YouTube, hopefully I have to learn all the technical ins and outs of how to make a short film. But once I've done that, I can be as free and as honest in front of a lens as I can in front of an audience. I've got a little sort of shortcut to that place. But I mean, I think 
this is the situation where you know every performer wants to be a writer every low-grade variety schmuck like me wants to be a respected writer so i'm in awe of bill who has been able to write in a variety of different styles brilliantly so i think perhaps what we have is this kind of ever so slight kind of almost jealousy of each other's art forms which is kind of healthy in a way i don't i don't want to speak for bill but certainly for me i would love to be a good writer and this is helping me to learn how to do that and the one thing i am good at is learning things you know that's actually a really interesting point of view and i hadn't thought of it in quite that way and i have i can say for my part i am absolutely in awe of people who can get up in front of other people and perform I talk about this in one of the episodes. I have a very, very limited history with performance. I've done a couple of live storytelling gigs downtown at a now defunct podcast called Two Truths and a Lie. And that was great fun. And then once when I was working as a TV writer, I managed to score big comedy laughs by filling in reading one line at a table reading for a day player that we hadn't cast yet. And that was a very, very seductive experience. And I've, it's years now since I've, I've done either of those things, but the thrill of that has really stuck with me. So I am absolutely in awe of people who can get up and perform with an air of command and confidence, whether or not they may feel it genuinely, but they can project it on stage. I'm very impressed with people who have the ability to do that. And what was interesting for me, as you were telling the story, is I was slightly annoyed with you, Bill, because I was like, why is Bill Burrell making another podcast? Because Thank you, I'm going to have to listen to it. Like, <laughs> and I have no time to listen. <laughs> I have no time. To, I mean, I'm so we produce shows. We have an agency. So I have my own. I have two shows that I host. And it, as, as you know, as a podcaster, your time to consume gets smaller and smaller. I have books to read. And, and I was like, well, this is this. I, mean, I have to you know, listen to this uh, trailer episode. And I was just, I remember I was traveling. So I was drawing in, I was sitting down having my cup of coffee. And before I knew it, I was on Matt's YouTube page, like <laughs> watching like the the video he did about, uh, you know, should I go on prescription or what my history was going on prescriptive meds. And I thought that was fascinating. And then the video you shot of um, you showing you know, oh, you you get paid for just a, a couple hours of work. That's amazing. And they're like, well, let me show you what a, a day in the life <laughs> is. And it was the video you shot when you traveled to one of those festivals that had just opened up. So I'm wondering, Bill, you know, you see this and is it just a function of like, you know, creators respecting creators that connected you? Because I, I mean, I, I imagine it's not the first time you've seen you know, highly talented people in their element. And so I'm wondering um, what stood out to you, what was special about this. Matt, when I saw him perform live, which was in 2018 at the Magic Castle in Hollywood, and this is a story that we tell from two different perspectives in, uh, in episode number one, Matt did a thing, and I will not spoil it by trying to describe it. And as Matt says, it is Googleable. Matt did a thing <laughs> I had never seen before as part of his act. He did something that I had never seen anybody do. And not only that, before he did it, I would never even had reason to believe that such a thing were possible for a human to do. I was gobsmacked by it. That's what you say over there in England, isn't it, Matt? Gobsmacked? That's, That's very good. Yep, Thank gobsmacked. You. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. And it got me thinking, as I said before, it got me thinking in a general way about creativity. And it occurred to me that coming from two different and somewhat complementary perspectives of a writer and a performer, that we were circling the same topic in a way but coming at it from different directions, and that there might be something interesting in a conversation about that. 
The form of the show is conversation between two people, one in the U.S. and one in the U.K. And I thought it might be an interesting conversation for people to listen in on. So I, I hope it has been. And I, Harry, I appreciate your taking the time because I know what you mean about podcasts. You have to listen to them in real time. And that's a demanding prospect, especially in a world where there are now 2 million podcasts in the Apple directory. It's probably, I read that stat a few weeks ago, it's probably 6 million by now. So it does require a time commitment. So I'm grateful for everybody who listens, if only because they have to carve out some time in their day to do that. And who's got time for that these days? <laughs> and I think that's one of the reasons I, I love having this show, because it just gives me an opportunity to just to highlight at this point now friends, because as much as I'd love to talk to new people, sometimes it's just a matter I have it as a platform to catch up with friends. Like it's an ability for you and I to connect and then see how you're doing and how things are going. And by the way, listener, you get to listen in on, on this conversation and hopefully it's adding value. But I, I always try to lead with curiosity because I feel that I'm putting myself in my listener's shoes. So that said, Matt, what did you know of the podcasting world prior to your conversations with Bill? I travel a lot for work when there's not a pandemic. Um, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. So I was very familiar with, you know, the basics of what a podcast is and etc. I have a friends who do podcasts. I've been on the occasional podcast here and there. I did a series of live shows in London ooh, 10 years ago, ooh, which I released sort of versions of as podcasts because the shows contained an interview segment. And But I never really committed to that. It was just, oh, we can also release it in this way. We can all, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast. It was, I'm doing these live shows. How else can we distribute the fact that people should know about me, that I want people to know about me? So I'd never done a podcast, really. And I certainly never, you know, what I like about, about the work me and Bill are doing is that it's it's considered, you know, it's not just, and as I describe this, there are podcasts that fit this description that I like very much, but there are too many, I think we can all agree, of those 2 million podcasts, 1,900,000 are two white guys who think they're funny, just, just you know, talking about what happened to their week, and hey, we're just naturally funny, we haven't got to write anything, we're just wacky dudes, and these people should be drowned in sinks. And I, what I like about what me and Bill do, and this was, you know, from the word go, this was the plan, Bill's an amazing writer, I am, you know struggling to keep up with him but also I am writing and I like the idea of us writing letters to each other that's what it is it's and there was there, there was an old uh, BBC radio thing in the I think it started in the 60s maybe even earlier called Letter from America where every week this correspondent would just read a letter from America he was in America he would just say what he had seen what was going on in America in the form and I like that kind of feeling of old school correspondent you know and if we could apply that to our sort of internal personal lives the, the the nature of creativity that just seemed very interesting to me yeah and one of the decisions that we made early on about format was that it would be inform a conversation but that term is a little deceptive because it does suggest you know hey how you doing what's going on and something improvised. This is not improvised. These exchanges are composed and written on our respective ends and then passed back and forth for comment 
between us and finally recorded. So although it does take the form of letters back and forth between the continents in a way that we hope has a kind of easy conversational flow, the idea was always to to do something that is kind of painterly and composed in the same way that my previous podcast always had been. I liked that aspect of it. And I think it may have been one of the things that decided Matt to go ahead with this insane idea was that he heard the last podcast and and uh, kind of liked the, the compositional aspect of it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I I mean, Bill, when he approached me, he said, well, look, I've done this, you know, I, I've done a podcast before, go listen to it. If you hate it, then fine, you know, and I listened to it. And I thought, nope, this is exactly the kind of thing that I would love to produce. This is, it's beautifully produced. It's meticulous. It's poetic. It's heartfelt. It's interesting. So I thought, yeah, if I can jump on these coattails, then that'll be that'll be good. He can drag me up a level. <laughs> yeah, let me just say this, by the way, before this degenerates into Matt <laughs> and me lobbing compliments <laughs> at each other across the Atlantic, Matt undervalues his skill as a writer. His segments are really quite beautiful in the writing, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. Bill, I'm curious, when did the idea formulate for you like you had the initial you obviously had seen Matt perform and you connected with him I mean speaking as a podcaster there's no shortage of podcast ideas I have personally so maybe it wasn't that much of a stretch but I'm curious about your thought process well there's a shortage of podcast ideas in my brain ideas don't come easily to me particularly for something that I'm going to be committed to for a, a period of time I did have another idea, and Harry, I think you and I talked about this one. Oh, yeah. There were a couple of them I think you and I talked about, but I had settled on one, and then, uh, what do you call it, uh, life intruded, and I had to set it aside for a while, and I remember thinking, man, this is a really good idea for a podcast. I sure hope somebody doesn't swoop in and do this thing while I'm, uh, do this podcast while I'm doing this other thing in my life. And what happened was somebody swooped in and did this other podcast while I was dealing with this other thing in my life. The performer's nightmare, right? One of them. Performers have a lot of nightmares. And so I was kind of casting around in late 20 into 2020 for a new idea for a podcast. And um, and these videos of Matt's kind of, as I've described, kind of ticked me over into this notion of, of creativity. So it was really just a matter of, of wanting to do something again, having put the microphone aside after home and having some time having gone by and just wanting to kind of get back in the game and uh, the topic of creativity and particularly creativity in hard times which we all have been going through over the last 18 months or so it seemed like an interesting area to explore can you talk a little bit about the structure and what where we're at it's august of uh, 2021 so just a time stamp it for future audiences just what the plan was and how that's where we're at now currently the plan yeah <laughs> matt did we have a plan, was there a plan? That, that's an adorable concept <laughs> there was some there were, we i can't remember we talked about a plan yeah yeah we started talking i think in january of 2021 is that right matt yeah that sounds plausible yeah we started talking back and forth and the idea was to get six episodes in the can before we released episode number one we wanted to have a whole first season down and it took us until i think it was may or june maybe when we when we released the first episode june i think i mean there were a couple reasons for that but mostly it was just that we wanted to be sure that we kind of had our feet 
under us in terms of production and narrative. And also we wanted to make sure that there was enough there to get us through a shortish first season. And then we would sort of see where we were. And I'm happy to say that, uh, you know, Matt wants to keep going and I want to keep going. So we are, as we speak, in the process of uh, doing the writing on episode one of a new season, which will be out at some point. <laughs> yeah i actually we do we do have a date in mind and i'm just not comfortable saying it because okay because that commits me. yeah no, don't yeah, yeah. no because things <laughs> don't, happen don't, Bill. Don't. come on now <laughs> i think we've all learned anything in the last year so for those of you listening you you can see matt with his uh, his head in his hands <laughs> yeah yeah we're going to take a little time time off after episode six of season one okay a short period of time and then we'll be back with a new and i think slightly longer season two Matt, what did you learn about yourself in this process? Oh, I mean, that's a really interesting question. A lot of my my performing work in the last few years has been, <laughs> this sounds immensely arrogant, has been about myself to a degree. I guess the correct non-arrogant phrase would be biographical. I learned, this maybe also sounds a bit arrogant, or maybe I'm just saying the word arrogant a lot because I feel I have to make excuses for myself. I've learned that I can do this. You know, I'm a person that, you know, I'm a performer, I, I'm a maker, I am a writer. I write, you know, even before this, I, I've written stuff and I obviously I write the scripts for my work. But at heart, all of this is based around I am a circus act. I'm, I'm a, a variety performer. I do tricks. My hands can do things. So it's easy to therefore think that that is basically the one thing I'm good at is doing tricks. You know, if I'm about to go on stage and I'm fearful that it's not going to go well, the audience is rubbish or there's technical issues or for whatever reason, what I sort of fall back on often is, well, they might not think I'm funny. They might not like me, but I know that I've got this trick, this trick and this trick and that they are impressive tricks. I can still do things they can't do. So... They'll have to clap, you know. So this is good for me. This has been very healthy for me because it's opened me up a little bit and it's shown me that in a medium like podcasts, I can't do my tricks. You can't see what I'm doing. So it's the worst medium for a, a circus act. <laughs> so it's been nice to, you know, Bill's been very encouraging and, and it's been a really enjoyable collaborative process to create a piece of work an ongoing piece of work that doesn't have the thing that I still consider the main thing of what I do in it that was very bad that was clumsy words <laughs> for a writer that wasn't good you know so it's it's like that crutch has been has been removed and and you know that's a nice feeling to have to to make something with all the tools that I've seen as being tertiary Interesting. For most of my career, which are now central, you know? Harry, Matt yeah. started, and obviously he talked more about this than I can because it's his career, started as a street performer. And, you know, one of the things that I'm in awe of is any performer getting up in front of any audience. But getting up in front of an audience, which, as Matt described in one of our episodes, is really only incidentally an audience in that they're a group of people who happen to collect on a certain street corner at a certain time and came there with no expectation of seeing a show or being entertained in any fashion. To be able to face down an audience like that and win them over, that is a skill. And I was always extremely interested in that, even though my exposure to Matt was in 
was in a beautiful little jewel box of a theater. You know, two different things, two different styles of presentation, maybe. But that ability to win over an audience under suboptimal conditions, that's a kind of nerve that writers rarely get to access. Yeah, it's... I always say that, you know, I learned 95% of everything I know about performing from my time as a street performer, which was, well, 17, 18 years. It's if you can gather a crowd of strangers on a street and make them like you and then make them stay to the end of the show and then make them give you voluntarily enough money to pay your rent, then you can entertain a crowd pretty much anywhere. It's a very good university. Follow up on that, Matt, because obviously you have the YouTube channel. How do you think about performance when it's for an audience that is not giving you the immediate reaction? It just becomes... So I I think I learned to be a, a good performer, or at least I learned to be a performer when I first started out by, as everyone does, copying performers that I liked in how I dressed and how I yeah, you know, the rhythm of my of my comedy, all that sort of stuff. And and then you find your own individual, you know, voice. But you start by, you know, taking inspiration from other people. So I think it's the same, you know, I there are people who talk to a lens who I admire very much and I admire their style very much. And if I don't consciously copy them, they're in the back of my head and I'm thinking, well, I want to try and veer towards feeling like this person. You know, I am the obvious one for me who's always in my head when I'm doing filming bits to camera is Anthony Bourdain. You know, I think he was an incredibly honest, truthful, interesting presence on camera. And he basically did the same thing that I do. You take a camera somewhere and you talk about it, you know. So there are people like that that were in the back of my head and I kind of hope that I can, you know, drift toward in, in, in that direction a little bit. This is interesting because I feel like I could go deeper on a whole episode with each one of you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to balance on, and I'm sure there'll be enough here for folks to continue to dig in as they get more curious. I'm wondering, this is something that I was thinking about when I listened to that uh, trailer and heard your your story. I turned 50 last year, so I've been thinking about this idea of long-term friendships and also the challenges as you get older of cultivating new ones. And so I'm wondering, you know, whoever might want to jump in first, has that thought come up or thoughts on that topic as it relates to you growing your friendship? You know, Harry, it's been such a weird 18 months, you know, it really has in all sorts of ways. And one of the things that we talk about is the ways in which a species level event affects everything by definition, right? So, you know, it's interesting because one of the new relationships that I've formed during this period has been with Matt, who, I'll say it again, I have never met face-to-face. You know, would we at some point have have met face-to-face and struck up a relationship working or otherwise without this enormous fact of COVID keeping us all locked down in our homes? I don't know that we would. So, you know, that's certainly something that's been in the back of my mind as we've been doing this thing. And I hope that one of the things that people will detect, maybe sort of subtextually as they listen to the six episodes of the first season, is two guys who are sort of getting to know each other in front of your ears, if that's an expression. Matt, does that, does that notion make sense to you? 
Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly so. It's very funny. There is something about making new friends when you're sort of past middle age. It's just oh, it's so much work. <laughs> it's like, well, I've got my friends now. They, I don't need any more. There's not many, and they probably hate me. But still, I know where they are. I know where they live. <laughs> and yeah, this has been, as Bill says, you know, an incredibly odd way to forge a relationship, but quite great. You know, in that we could be doing this and not be friends. You know, if we were being paid a lot of money by some sponsor to do this, we could just be gritting our teeth and go, oh, I've got to talk to Dan Bill again. You know, and, and we... C- and then it's the expose podcast. Oh, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> but you're we're not going to have to paid. talk after. I'm sorry, go ahead. Why am I... T- oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's just for you. Need to figure that out. Oh, I, I, I did mention it's now Imagination and Junk sponsored by Pepsi Max. That should be fine, right? So, yeah, it's been really interesting. It's it's exactly as Bill says. We have, you know, I think when we first started writing the first episode and then recording it, I would were we friends then? I guess Or were so? we just two guys working together? Because now we're friends, right? Sure. Let's say yes. I think so. Yeah, I think so. In the way that... I mean, I, I think. <laughs> in the attenuated way that people become friends in an era of COVID, you know? And COVID, there's really three main characters in this podcast, or at least in the first season of this podcast. Yeah. There's Matt, and there's Bill, and there's COVID. And we are not a podcast about COVID, but we're not not a podcast about COVID. COVID is lurking in the background of this the way it's lurking in the background of absolutely everything as of this moment, which is mid-August of, of 2021. And so another one of those substantive conversations that Matt and I had in the beginning was trying to figure out how much to acknowledge the fact of COVID, how much to talk about it explicitly, how much to talk about it as something that's lurking just off stage. And it was a thing that we sort of agreed to glance off of occasionally, but really circle back to in a substantial way in the last episode of season one, which is episode six, which is specifically about creativity in hard times. So I don't think we would have made this podcast without the fact of COVID, even if it meant uh, the fact that we're sitting on two different continents. And, uh, you know, Matt, it's lovely to see you and I hope to see you, you know, in person sometime. Yeah, exactly. It's true. It's a podcast about creativity, about what inspires it, what nurtures it, what stifles it, what encourages it. And this podcast probably, certainly maybe, wouldn't have happened were it not for COVID. I wouldn't have made YouTube videos the way I'm making them if it wasn't for COVID. We probably wouldn't be here doing this now if it wasn't for COVID. So for all of the awfulness that that COVID has brought... <laughs> I'm, I'm this close to saying at least the world's got another podcast... <laughs> You know, when the world being on fire pushes you into a corner, sometimes that makes you, you know, climb up the walls or, or look for a different place to go or, you know, and that's not good. That's not a good thing. And it would have been, I guess, great to not have COVID be a motivating factor for this. But, you know, this podcast is about two people who exist in the current world. And the current world has one main storyline. 
I'm curious about the question of vulnerability. And Matt, when you, I remember when I did watch a couple of the videos, you did have the one where you talked about, you know, your your experience using antidepressants, and and you and you were pretty vulnerable there. And I wonder if that's been something that's gradually become a part of who you are as as you get older in life. And and I'm curious what Bill's thoughts on that afterwards would be as well. I think certainly as you move out of your youth, you have less to prove. You know, when I first started as a performer, and as, you know, being a street performer is a great place to cultivate an unhealthy ego. You know, if you can make it work, you're going out there, you're pulling a crowd of a bunch of strangers who then give you money, and some of them come up and ask if you want to go for a coffee afterwards. And it's that for a 20 year old, it's the best. You feel like you've got a superpower, you can make a show come out of nothing. And then as you get older, you realize, you know, what a dick that makes you. And you slowly start to look at your art form as an art form a little bit closely. And you realize that it's a nice, you know, the time when the arts, all of the arts are interesting and are moving to people is when they can be honest. They, you can be authentic. You can be presenting as close to the real you as you can. That's always good. That's what makes great art, is being truthful, being authentic. But so I guess certainly when I pivoted to video, it was important for me to keep a very honest voice, especially because video, there's no audience. It can be a more intimate medium. You're just talking down the lens at one person watching. So you can sort of say, look, it's just me and you. How are you feeling? You know. Why is that important to you? Because it's communication, because it's... You know, the nature of arts is to have a communication with the person consuming the art. You know, when I come on stage, I, I, as Bill will tell you, I don't just go up there and churn through a script and then leave. I will try and instigate a conversation with the audience. I want to, you know, it's all, all art is a conversation. Even if one half isn't actually talking back, it still is. And especially now with social media, so whatever platform be it a podcast or youtube whatever platform you're talking about people can talk back to you which can be awful of course <laughs> but but <laughs> but all but also you know if you're being honest if you're talking about things that you know the you talk about the the video i made about my depression and about um making the choice to start taking antidepressants it's a thing that is still, even in 2021, it's still taboo for a lot of people to talk about that stuff. People want to appear strong. They want to appear, no, I don't need anything. I'm fine. And mental illness is illness. And it that's a dumb angle to come at it from, is to hide it. So if I, you know, when I made that video, it didn't feel weird. It didn't feel embarrassing. I'm in no way ashamed or embarrassed by it. It's an illness that I take a medication from, and it helps me deal, you know, it helps me do my life better. It helps me make podcasts better. And after that video, I got a lot of feedback from people, you know, genuinely saying thanks and asking me questions, and a conversation happened. And I felt really good about that. That's what this should be. You know, when I started thinking about what I wanted this podcast to be, I started just writing ideas down on post-its and not even ideas, just half formed thoughts or quarter formed thoughts and just throwing them up on a board and seeing what I had. And one of the ones that I put right toward the center of the board was be self-revelatory. Communication 
which is kind of the tent pole of this podcast. It's a podcast about creativity. Creativity is communication, right? Creativity is about saying, here's this thing that I have come up with from bits and parts of other things. I should say the title to our podcast, Imagination and Junk, is stolen from a quote by Thomas Edison, who famously said, in order to invent, you need a good imagination and a pile of junk. We all of us take our pile of junk in different ways, and we smash the junk together, and we emerge with something that wasn't there before. And then each of us in our own way, we put that out into the world, right? And say, here's this thing I made from these pieces of junk. What do you think? That's communication. Communication, the creativity of communication is the communication of creativity. Those two things, they're just more meaningful if what you're doing comes out of some honest part of you. And that's one of the things that really drew me to Matt's videos, because I had seen him perform that one time on stage in 2018, and I knew what he could do as a performer. What he was doing in the videos was another gear. It was performatively brilliant, but it was honest. And in my last podcast, I was telling other people's stories. One of the things I wanted to change this time around was I wanted to tell at least partially some part of my story as well. And that's one of the big differences between this one and the last one. And looking at what Matt was able to do on video, I thought, yeah, this is a guy who will get this. This is a guy who will understand this. This is a guy that I can have a conversation with about things that are happening, real things that are happening in the real lives of each of us. It's about creativity as a human phenomenon, as a kind of human magic trick. What does it mean to create? But, you know, it's also about where that comes from. And that, I think, by definition, is just a very personal human part of all of us. Bill, why was it important that this time around you show more of yourself? That's a good question. It may have something to do with where I am in my life. I'm a few years older. And as much as I liked doing the last podcast, I think in looking back on it, there was something a little bit lacking in terms of an identity. It had a voice, but it didn't always have an identity. And that may have something to do with the world I come out of originally, which was newsweekly journalism, where with very few exceptions, and this is again something that we talk about in the in the podcast, I think it's in episode three or four, talk about um, how it was not taboo, but it was not encouraged to have an authorial voice if you were writing for one of the big news magazines in the 80s, which I was. I came out of writing for Newsweek. And so that was my training. And I think that's always my first instinct as a writer is to fall back on what I call in the podcast that sort of magisterial, I'm nobody from nowhere voice. And I did that and I think did it reasonably well in home. I just wanted to do something a little different this time. I just wanted there to be a little bit more of me in it and a little bit more of asking questions rather than talking to people about what their answers were to what they were going through. A little bit more of talking about what was going on with me. Because I think in a lot of ways, that's what hooks people into a podcast, right? That's what makes it engaging. The sense that here's a person who is telling you something about what's going on with him in this moment. And this has been such a weird moment that uh, maybe that had something to do with it too. Yeah, and I think what's resonated the most is the fact that it, it just comes across as a, a genuine conversation with two genuine voices. And I, I think to 
what Bill's saying as a podcaster, because of the level of production, because of the care taken in, in how this is produced, it, it feels artisan in a way. <laughs> and I know it's the same bits and bytes and, and digital stuff happening in the background, but I think when it's consumed and how it's consumed, and even with podcasting, um, I, don't, uh, it, I know it's taboo to talk about listening at, at a one and a half X or one, one and a quarter X speed for some of these shows. And I already can see Bill shaking crazy. <laughs> shaking Can't his stand head. It. Should but, be against the I law. <laughs> but that's right. Take twice like as long. It's like a Japanese tea ceremony. Yeah. You should listen to our show at half speed. <laughs> Savor it. Do either of you think <laughs> about this concept of um, impact or legacy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think I do. I think at this point, legacy, if I'm remembered for anything, it will be for the trick that Bill mentioned. Because, you know, I go anywhere in the world and people who have seen me point at me and do a mime of the trick. You know, I'm that guy. I know that's the the first line of the obituary, you know. Which is fine because, you know, that is a trick I'm very proud of. It's a thing that no one had ever done before I did it. So that's, you know, in my industry, there aren't that many brand new tricks. It was, uh, you know, that's great. I'm fine with that. But then, you know, yeah, hopefully... It's interesting. I've been re-kind of relabeling myself recently as a maker. Because I've always struggled with people, what do you do? And it's like, well, technically I'm a juggler, but I don't really do that much juggling. I'm not a magician. I'm a comedian, but I'm a variety <laughs> performer. Well, I also do writing, and now I make these videos. Ah, you know? So, and a podcast host now. So, you know, you can't answer that question without doing a paragraph by which time the person's gone. So I've just started saying maker. I keep myself sane, literally, by making things. And if those things are enjoyed by anybody else that's a bonus that's a decent legacy isn't it i wouldn't say i think consciously about impact and legacy except in one respect which is that one of the things that's gotten illuminated for me in this lengthy conversation with matt about creativity is that creativity is an almost universal human phenomenon it is something everybody does in their own way and I think there's a notion when you hear this is a podcast about creativity, there may be some sense in which people think, well, that's, that's too heady. I'm not interested in that. One of the threads that we've tried to pull in this podcast is that everybody is creative. Everybody can be creative. And we all create in our own things in our own ways. It is a, it's a universal human experience. Where does it come from? That's a big question. We talk in episode one about it being essentially a magic trick, that moment of inspiration. Where does that come from? I don't know. Matt doesn't know. I don't think anybody knows. That moment of where did that come from is something that people have in every kind of creative endeavor, whether it's writing or performance or playing an instrument or making things out of clay or making things out of wood. There's a moment where something existed there that didn't exist a moment ago. And that's kind of the big moment that we're talking about in this show. Very well put. What's been the reaction to the podcast so far? My family loves it. My cat hasn't subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's been good. It's been good. People have been people have been complimentary about it. I think you know, Harry. A couple sure. of minutes ago, you said some very nice things about the production quality of the show, and identified it as artisan in a way. So thanks for hanging that millstone around our necks. <laughs> you know, oh, that sounds great. Yes, I want to listen to that. It's artisan. One of the problems with, but I do, I appreciate what you had to say about it, is that, you know, there, there is this question of kind of surfacing something that maybe doesn't have huge, broad mass appeal. You know, this is not, we're not either of us Joe Rogan here. So we are in the process of trying to find our audience, but the people who have, who have managed to find the show so far have had some very nice things to say about it. And we appreciate that. And I think that's one of the things that are somewhat well known within the podcasting space is that the best place to hear about a podcast is from a fellow podcaster who obviously is passionate about it. And it's just the most glowing review you can give to someone to say, like, I just heard this. I think you need to listen to it. And I think it's really, really good. And I think as as that continues to spread, and I think, yeah, I'm sure there there are hundreds if not thousands of shows of this caliber of production I'm, you know I, I don't doubt that but i think it just seems to find you at the right place in the right time and i think if that's the sentiment that can be expressed when you're telling it to other people i think that would probably resonate with folks and is not that a great moment when that happens when you hear something that you want to tell other people about i mean i said this the last time we talked about home when i heard the memory palace by nate DeMeo, that was the key that unlocked the door for me of what podcasting could be and i started telling everybody about this show which was at that point slightly less well known than it is now i mean still a you know a, a popular podcast at the time but man that moment of of coming on something and wanting the whole world to know about it that's a, a great moment in podcasting or anything else i have a um slightly offbeat question for each one of you so i'll start with matt first and then bill matt do you remember the first time you got paid to perform oh now i'm really trying to remember i'm old it was a long time ago when i yeah i do so i'll try and condense this story down the reason that i learned to juggle was because i was on holiday with my parents in a, a seaside town in the north of england and I saw a street performer there, and he was a juggler. And he, was, he wasn't he was very good. He was fine, but he was a good showman. He was engaging and funny and did that thing that street performers do of captivating you. You couldn't look away. And I was like, how is he doing this? How is he gathering a crowd and making what? And I went to see every single show, and I became his fan. How did he make me his fan? He's just a guy on a street. There's plenty of them. Why am I fixated with this one? And by the time I went home, I went to the pet shop at the end of our street and bought three juggling balls and started learning to juggle. The pitch in that North Yorkshire town that I saw him in three or four years later, I did my first show there. I borrowed three flaming torches, lit them up, put the hat down and and juggled them. And I don't know how much money I made. It would have been hardly any. But that was my first show. And I was actually there less than a year ago I, I paid a visit to it so yeah i don't know how much i got paid but uh but that was the first time all sorts of questions there what i want to have friends that i can borrow flaming torches from. <laughs> i can get your flaming torches <laughs> <laughs> i know a guy that's a great story thanks you gotta you gotta remind yourself <laughs> it's yeah. really true that's just true. dip a baguette in some gas bill maybe not performing but uh writing or 
a creative endeavor, the first time you were compensated? The first time I got paid for writing. I think I was in college, and I managed to talk my way into a gig writing the undergraduate column for my college alumni magazine. And it was a competition in which I think probably about two and a half people competed, and I was one of them. And I wrote this tone poem about sitting on the college campus on a spring afternoon because I didn't want to do any legwork or reporting. And so it's always the, you know, it's always the fallback of the lazy reporter to write a, a tone poem. And somehow it got by them. And I think it paid $75 a column. And, uh, and it went out to the alumni of my college and, uh, it took them by storm. I got upwards of one fan letter about it, but I was a professional writer. And that was before I knew I wanted to be a professional writer. At that time, I thought I was going to go into radio. And then I had two weeks after I got out of college, uh, working as a morning drive time news person on WAAF in Worcester. Massachusetts. And that was enough to convince me that, uh, that I did not want to be in radio. It involved a lot of getting up early. Yet here you are back. <laughs> I know. And it's all these years later. Yet here you are back with a second podcast. And here I am sitting in front of a microphone <laughs> in a tiny sweltering room talking to you. Life is a flat circle, Harry. <laughs> yes. We have a, a common question we ask on the show, so I'll reverse the order. Well, I've asked this of Bill earlier, so I'll start with you, Matt. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, wow. I don't know. I'm one of those people that doesn't change their mind about things easily, because I am always right. So why would I <laughs> want to do that? And Bill, if you want to give Matt a little bit of time to think, if you've got one that comes up for you, feel free to jump in. That question's not any easier for me to answer than it was the last time you asked me six or seven years ago, and I knew it was coming, and I really should have given it some more thought. Matt? Okay, there is something, actually, and, oh, man, this is a, it's a big one, but it's true. So I have um, the tendency, and I think a lot of us do at the moment, to be f kind of fatalistic about things sometimes. You know, it's all doomed, there's nothing we can do. And... I've often felt that way about the inevitable environmental collapse, that it's kind of all set in stone. We're all doomed. There's nothing we can do. We're all underwater in 20 years. Oh, well, let's have a drink. And this week I read some things that made me at least partially have hope that it's not inevitable and that things can be, if not turned around, at least lessened. So that seems like something I've changed my mind about in a healthy way. That's inspiring. For me, I think the most immediate last thing I was wrong about, if you really want to know the last thing I was wrong about, chronologically, the last thing I was wrong about is that uh, apparently for people of my age and, uh, and gender and health profile, it's better to exercise in the afternoon than it is in the morning. Who knew? I read an article about this in the New York Times today. Apparently, there are more metabolic benefits for exercising in the afternoon, this study thinks, theorizes, than exercising in the morning. And this comes 24 hours after I made a pledge, the kind of accountability pledge you make inside a marriage. I made a pledge to my wife that I was going to start getting up when my alarm went off, <laughs> getting up early, getting on the rowing machine, and exercising. 
completely wrong, apparently. So thanks for nothing. Once again, science, you jerk. Can I just say that me and Bill have never met. We have not talked about this. That's exactly how I start my day. I get up and I go downstairs and I get on the rowing machine. <laughs> we are the same. It was meant to be. It's kismet. You're like English me. You're English, right? <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, no, French. Oh, I, just, I, knew I, I couldn't put my uh. finger on the accent. <laughs> Thus the baguette reference. Uh, just general European. Exactly. Yeah. That's all any of us understand over here anyway is generic European. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We get a French from uh, Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> well, as this is really been a fun, fascinating, entertaining, engaging conversation. I was really excited to have it, and, and think, I was—I knew from the minute Bill mentioned the show, we'd have to just figure out when we were going to have this conversation and, and talk on a podcast about more podcasting. Um, but it's just a, a lovely way for me to just really see the the dynamic that you both have. To thank you for creating this show, and I'm, I'm hopefully gets the word out a bit more because I really love what you've both produced as creators. Thank you so much, Harry. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks. And the best place to connect is going to be Imagination and Junk. Is that the domain as well, Bill? Imaginationandjunk.com. We tried to come up with something descriptive but shorter and couldn't do it. So we ended up swallowing a 57-character URL, imaginationandjunk.com. And given all this stuff, um, I, you said that's an Einstein quote? No, I'm sorry, Thomas uh, Edison. Edison quote. Thomas Edison. Yeah, yeah. So given, given all the stuff Edison stole from Tesla, I don't feel that bad about you ripping off that that's one. That's right. Line from we Tesla. actually looked for inspirational <laughs> quotes from Tesla, but they were all about what a jerk Edison is. <laughs> well, thanks again, both of you. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. I really appreciate you uh, sharing that story. Thanks, Harry. So thanks again to Bill and Matt. So fascinating and inspiring to see Bill take the idea of being inspired by Matt's performance, turning that into a conversation and turning that into a podcast. That's a really great idea. And I'm so glad I had them on for this conversation. Full show notes at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 277. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com, for his full list of music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Scarlett 2i2 Pro. Check out the full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. Tune in next week for my conversation with Pony Boy Pole, host of Poles and Pals. Paul and I connected after he reached out to me and signed up for my anypodcastrecommendations.com site, which I whipped up in about 24 hours. So check that one out if you haven't, anypodcastrecommendations.com. It was a spur of the moment reaction to all the people posting that same question on Twitter. And if you made it this far, you know not looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with Imagine Bill, and you can tag Matt Ricardo at M-A-T-R-I-C-A-R-D-O podcast underscore junkies and imagination and junk at imagination junk thanks for all you do to support the show talk to you next week